WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hittin' Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. The clock ticks, the earth spins, and another reliever is off the board in David Robertson, a guy whom neither the Phillies nor their fans would have wanted to see, but he's headed to Texas to join the Rangers regardless. Larry Boa says Jimmy Rollins is a Hall of Famer. Chase Utley finished with 28.8% of Hall of Fame votes, meaning I guess 71.2% of Hall of Fame voters have never heard of Chase Utley. And in one month, we'll be talking about the Phillies being in Clearwater. Midwinter check-in, Liz, on a 70-degree day, a week after we saw a couple inches of snowfall in the Northeast. Why isn't Chase Utley in the Hall of Fame yet, and is it because (laughs) you didn't want it enough? (laughs) <laughs> it definitely, I'm sure, is somehow related to me. Uh, he's not in the Hall of Fame yet because there's a big bunch of players um, that sort of near, need to be cleared uh, on Yahoo Sports, uh, sports.yahoo.com slash MLB. I did a look ahead at the 2025 and beyond Hall of Fame ballots. Uh, Chase Utley is going to have a chance starting in like 2026, 27 to build solid support in those middle years when the um, when this current because next year it's uh, CC Sabathia and Ichiro Suzuki and um, uh, Billy Wagner will probably get it. Those will be the three next year. Uh, and after that, it's a uh, it's a little bleak. It's uh, let me pull up my article here and I can give you an idea of some of the names that we're looking at. Quick note to any Phillies media or public relations people listening. We don't need updates on how Billy Wagner is doing from a Phillies perspective. Billy Wagner isn't really claimed by Phillies fans or liked by Phillies fans. And if he is, it's from people who are not paying attention or weren't paying attention when all that went down. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look it up. But, you know, guy was called a rat by his own teammates. Probably not somebody Phillies fans hold in high regard. So when you're lumping them all together and saying Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, and Billy Wagner, these are different levels of people in Phillies fans' eyes. We don't need the Billy Wagner updates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next year, it's out of there are 22 eligible. I mean, and that's listed on the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. There are 22 uh, guys that retired now it's because next year is the 2025 hall of fame the 2020 season saw the the covid season saw a lot of guys retire not really of their own choice like david freeze edwin jackson francisco liriano uh ben zobrist uh the year after that is when we start getting into prime this is a good time for chase utley to uh to build his support because uh, we've got guys like Ryan Braun, Howie Kendrick, Daniel Murphy, Gio Gonzalez, mm. well, Cole Hamels in 2026. So, do you, the way Hall of Fame voting works, first of all, why don't you fill us in on, on what is the what is the number you have to hit to successfully get into the Hall of Fame? As uh, 75%. 75% of whatever the number of votes is that they receive. Yes, and you need 75%. To, that's the number you got to hit to get into the to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Joe Mauer, Todd Helton, and who was the third person? Uh, Adrian Beltre. Adrian Adrian Beltre were all voted in, which is which is great. I actually I like all three of those players. This was not a year yeah. where it was like oh, I gotta just you know whatever. 
you know, just grind your teeth and, and listen to everybody clap for somebody who's not great. But those are three players who were fun to watch. It's kind of flooring to be like, oh, wow, Joe Maurer has not only not been in baseball long enough to qualify for the Hall of Fame, but is now in the part of his career where he's just he's a Hall of Famer. Like, that's just the phase of being a baseball player he's in. Feels like we were just watching him and the Twins lose in the first round of the playoffs to the Yankees for multiple over years. Over and in a over row. and over again. <laughs> but yeah, that's that is the passage of time. But uh, I mean, is this are these exciting times for Phillies fans in the Hall of Fame with Rollins and Utley being on the ballot and Utley seeming like he actually has a chance and Larry Boa again saying that he thinks Jimmy Rollins deserves more support. He said today or uh, yesterday. Been in baseball for over 50 years, and I've seen a lot of great shortstops. I can't believe that Jimmy Rollins only received 14% of the vote on his second Hall of Fame ballot. His body of work speaks for itself. Jimmy is a Hall of Fame shortstop. So, in the years ahead, uh, do you feel like one or both of these guys has a real shot? Does Utley have as as like better of a shot than Jimmy, as we've kind of had it indicated to us by those in the know? What can we expect in the years to come as far as these Phillies on the ballot? Uh, I think I think you're right that it will. It's a little bit more likely that Utley will get in over time than Rollins. Um, he just wasn't. I don't think his peak was sustained enough um, for him to earn earn induction. Um, maybe sometime in the future, one of the veterans committees. Uh, but Utley definitely has a shot. I mean, if you think about it, do you believe that Jay Bruce is uh, better or worse than, than Utley and Rollins? I would say worse. Yep, there you go. Because uh, <laughs> that is the 2027 ballot. We've got Jake Arietta, John Lester, Andrew Miller, Mitch Moreland, Kyle. S- like, there aren't Hall of Famers on some of these lists. There just yeah. aren't. I was going to say, this is more just a list of guys who don't play baseball anymore, more so than a yeah. Hall of Fame ballot. But. I mean, this is something that was brought up to me recently. Jimmy Rollins, as Larry Bell was saying, was a terrific shortstop, an incredible oh, nat- yeah. nat- uh, natural athlete, uh, multiple all-stars, multiple MVP balloting, and a successful MVP win in 2007, uh, multiple gold gloves. He won a silver slugger in 2007 as well. Wasn't the whole thing for so long that Rollins was great, might not have a chance. Utley might have had a chance, but injury cut his uh, peak so short that he didn't really have a chance. But then it came time for them to be on the ballot, and suddenly it was Utley's got this solid chance, and Rollins is a definite no. And that just seemed to be a reversal of the narrative going into that. Do you know what happened there? I don't know. I never thought that there was a reversal. I mean, I always... I think Chase Utley was always seen as a borderline candidate while Jimmy Rollins was sort of seen as a guy who deserved to be on the ballot as long as possible. Mm. You know, just, I mean, and that, that is considered by writers, I guess, to be uh, a show of respect. I see. And that is largely, I, I guess. There's, there's so much of that involved in Hollow Fame voting that, you know, I, that is part of why i don't really follow it as as closely as I do because there's you know there's just so many of these X factors in it. But it's so stupid. A lot of this is so so stupid. But like there there are a couple of classes down the line that have like two dudes in it. Like 2028 as Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols. Uh, those are the only two guys on that list. But by then, you know, we're looking at it like a bunch of guys having been cleared 
out. Uh, and so it is a good, it, people will look at, people will start to look at him differently when they're presented with different ballots. I think with players that are more around this era, you know, I know Rollins retired back then, but he's sort of, I mean, him and Rollins are sort of not necessarily seen as like the same type of dudes as, you know, who played it around the same time as like Todd Helton and Billy Wagner. Like they, they overlapped, but like, that's not how they're, they're not thought of in that sort of general, you know, age group. Right. Right. They were, um, late. Yeah. Like the twilight years guys of that age group at best. I, I feel like writers typically fall into, as far as voting practices go, two categories. They either love to vote for scumbags who put up good numbers so that they can write about how objective they are when it's come, it's become apparent to me that no baseball writer is objective uh, Bob <laughs> at any point anymore. Um, or they love to vote for guys who were like nice to them and made their jobs easier by giving them good quotes and put up borderline numbers those are like the two categories of former players writers love to vote for in the hall of fame they submit their votes they get posted publicly on twitter people say this ballot makes no sense because a lot of them don't make any sense writers try to explain why they're ballots that make no sense like what logic they were following ultimately it means nothing and the guys get in who are going to get in and the guys don't get in who aren't going to get in and that's that's typically how this goes down so understanding that how much of a chance do you feel like Utley and Rollins have? Like, those are two guys who writers seem to have generally liked, which is, you know, tragically the first step towards getting into the Hall of Fame at this point. I mean, there is that. They were nice guys. They continue to be nice guys. And, you know, that that you're right. That does play a role. And I think they they have a solid chance to build this kind of – to build like meaningful support um especially if the phillies get involved which i think they will down the line i know i know it's not always seen as kosher for teams to get involved in hall of fame elections um like the veterans committee is different um usually they don't get, like to get involved in these types of things but i th i think they will I, I think when it gets down to it like this is just at least first year this is Rollins, what, second year? Second. This is the second year. Yeah. yeah. And so there's still a, there's a long way to go. It's a long road for them. Uh, and I think, I think a history will, will bear me to be correct. I, I would think that once you, like, let's compare, uh, let's compare Outley and Rollins to Daniel Murphy, uh, Nick Markakis. Hunter Pence, but these are Neil what the, these Walker. Are what they have to rely on that the idea that the the players around them just simply weren't as good as them, and then they will get votes simply by being the default superior. Player. No, I don't want it to sound like that, but it's about recontextualizing. Hmm. Um, it's about recontextualizing players, um, and I think that will make a big difference. And I think we'll see that going forward because we're about to take a jump into a bunch of these players from this era that we remember very well um make it into like the hall of hall of fame conversation and i think that will it's a generational jump of retirees essentially and so we're we're 
I think it involved, I think there's going to be a general recontextualization of what a Hall of Famer is. Because there will have to be for this era. Yeah, there will. There I, will. And writers are, you know, capable of reframing things however they want. I have, I love the little moments that pop up like a couple years ago when a Rangers writer gave Michael Young a vote and was openly like, yeah, because I, I, I enjoyed covering him. And you're like, that's not... <laughs> That's not a, you have a limited number of votes, man. Like you're just throwing a guy a vote because you like him and then admitting that. Or the guy this year who was like, I vote how I want and the nerds can shut up. I didn't vote for Gary Sheffield. I'll just vote for him next year. People were like, uh huh. So he's oh off the God. ballot. <laughs> he's off the ballot after this year. So no, I you will not. Was... You will not vote like, for him next year. Like, listen, it, when it comes down to it, I do believe that everyone should vote the way they want. But I also believe that the Hall of Fame needs to pay attention to some of that and see. Because I think the guy who tossed Michael Michael Young a vote is fine. It's like, I enjoyed covering him. I thought he was a great player. For me, it's a, it's a you know, I want to throw him a little bit of respect and let him know how much I cared. And it's because it, that's it. Like, and again, that's something that writers do. I think that's fine. There are two guys this year that voted for only uh, Manny and A-Rod. They're both Red Sox guys. They did not vote for Beltre. Now, Beltre ended up not being close to unanimous, but as of the public ballots that had been released before the announcement, they were the only two who had not voted for Beltre. I'm with you. Vote however you want, but a ballot like that is inexcusable. Like there exactly. is no, That's there's no I'm reasoning saying. that explains it. <laughs> exactly. Like it shows that you're not trying to, you're not trying to uphold the values and ideals of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, that, like, for me, and that's the thing. Like, if you vote for fewer than six players, also, you need to get a talking to. Or, some, yeah, submitting a blank ballot. It's like, no one right. did that this year. Thank God no one submitted a blank ballot this Thankfully. year. Thankfully. And I think you should be allowed to do that. But once you do it, you, you lose your vote. I feel like that's, yeah, exactly. that should be the rule. Like, okay, well, if you're not a participant, then that's it. You know, if you want to make a statement, make your statement. But it's it's going to cost you your vote. You know, because this is, at the end of the day, this is a museum. And if you're trying to make like a statement like that, where you're like, none of these players were up to my standards. Like, okay, then why don't you like, circle back and reapply when when you know maybe there's players who are up to your personal standards uh i mean in that same boat what was it like 10 years ago at this point the late pedro gomez for espn went on a tear about jeff bagwell and how he said he'd he'd he'd, uh he'd never denied that he'd used steroids and he was using that as a reason not to vote for him and people pointed out with quotes that no actually he he has denied using steroids and he said fine i'm still not voting for him and stuff like that is like okay so you're just admitting in a childlike sense of stubbornness you're just not gonna vote for the guy i have no support for i'm not saying jeff bagwell definitely deserved this guy's vote it was just a moment of like what are we doing here like this is such a Mm -hmm. strange absent of logic exchange like uh, yeah it's and that's the kind of stuff that is just filled hall of fame rhetoric at this point but hopefully the writers see fit to put two of our favorite players into the hall of fame because we personally want to see it and at the end of the day that's all that's all anybody is it's just a fan of different levels so uh we'll see what happens there larry boa certainly is supporting <laughs> jimmy rollins which was really cool to see i, I liked that a lot um and Me i'm sure too. jimmy's the support as well but you me- would never think that, I mean, I think that's part of the, you know, the fascination with their relationship, but you would just never think that the two of them would get along. 
I don't think at first maybe they did. You know, no, I'm like pretty sure they didn't. John Vukovic, I remember, like had a problem with Jimmy Rollins when he first came up, and everybody worked out how they were approaching the situation, and everybody made little changes, and everybody got better. It was a, uh, it was honestly, it was a big moment for the Phillies organization because we had just watched is. Larry Boa and Scott Rollins schism kind of create an organizational hiccup you could mm-hmm. call it uh that affected a generation of baseball in philadelphia and then you know see the next little young superstar come out of the minors and you know that they have built the kind of relationship they have is yeah it's it's awesome yeah, it's awesome like, to like watch all those... these racial i was gonna say there's all these racial dynamics involved as well that philadelphia i don't know if they were ready for and that that larry and and jimmy worked out their difficulties i think boded well for jimmy's relationship with everybody in general that's yeah i feel like that's got to be true yeah well meanwhile while all of the hall of fame vote counting was going on there's been some gradual movement of the baseball free agent market no no not involving the phillies that would be crazy (laughs) except for one small move which we will get to uh in a couple of minutes but meanwhile more recently i mentioned the david robertson signing in texas but jock peterson a low-key favorite. I feel like he is, um, as far as like people, Phillies fans were sort of bringing up with excitement. Um, he was behind Cody Bellinger as far as outfielders go, uh, but vibe-wise, would have been a funny guy to see with the Phillies. But no one they were ever linked to or was said to be the fit for the role they have for an outfield bench bat kind of situation. Uh, So, Jock Peterson has gone to the Diamondbacks. Yes, he is headed to the team that eliminated the Phillies from the postseason uh, on a one-year, $12.5 million deal. Peterson had an all-star season in 2022, his first since 2015, but tanked pretty hard for the Giants in 2023, hitting .235 with a .764 OPS and his lowest home run total and slugging percentage since 2017, not counting the shortened 2020 season, though his walk rate did jump a bit. He was said to have been gifted 2022 a bit by the uh, BABIP gods, so he was getting kind of lucky, and he's viewed largely as a platoon player. In December, Peterson had posted a picture on Instagram of himself with the fanatic and no context beyond the caption, which read, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Liz, what do you think that meant? I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe he was watching It's Always Sunny and he thought he would post it or I don't know. Like people thought it was like he wants to be assigned here. And I'm like, I don't know. He, so- he Like it's not a far leap to be like he's been there and taken pictures with the fanatic and maybe he was watching. Like it's not it doesn't have to mean anything, but what? <laughs> But why post that? Exactly. Like, <laughs> that to have meant something. You, 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 must, you must know how this will be interpreted. You, you, you simply must. And, you know, granted, we don't know Jock Peterson personally, and ultimately we'll probably never, we never will. Uh, but uh, from a fan's perspective and, and how he's been portrayed, I do kind of feel like maybe when Tommy Pham slapped him across the face, it was like a Frisbee hitting a golden retriever in the face. Like, that's the, that's the kind of... <laughs> and like he just was like yeah i'm just thinking about philadelphia right now and i'm watching it's always sunny so i'm just gonna like post this thing with no thought that people would be like oh it means he's signing where does it mean he's signing is it a hint about this free agency like no no idea if you look if you 
if you looked at him at any point during the season of the 2023 season, you'll know that it looks to me that when the season is over, he stops thinking about being a baseball player. That's that's the right mentality. That's what, man, that's what to, I'm to, thinking. To he's that just switch. like posting it like he's some idiot with, you know, with like a, a job at a gas station. No offense to anybody with a job at a gas station. Yeah, it's called work-life balance. And I think Jack <laughs> Peterson has it. I think he's I think he's nailed it. Um, Six but, months out of the year, like eight months out of the year, he's a baseball player. The others, he's literally just Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Liz, would you like... Would you have liked to see the soon-to-be 32-year-old Jock Peterson filling the Phillies' open spot for an outfield bench bat? Is this in any way disappointing to you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I'm good without Jock Peterson. I think it's all right. We can move on from him. <laughs> Would you say the Diamondbacks, do you expect them to get back to the NLCS in 2024 with, with additions like Jock Peterson? <laughs> no. I don't either. Uh, no, I've, talk, I've like, talked to people who are like, always... I don't expect them to go back to the playoffs, honestly. <laughs> no, no. Like, it's the same with the it's the same with the Orioles, really. It, they're they're almost the same team right now because they're just the the Orioles aren't making any moves at all. And, and what moves like they've got Michael Lorenzen in their sights. I'm like, if when you're. When you're picking oh, up Phillies, that is cats so off, Orioles. That is such I'm an just Orioles like, move. <laughs> it, they did it last season too with Kyle Gibson. They sure did. They pick up a Phillies midseason a Phillies midseason acquisition that has been cast off by them. I will say the Orioles are almost certainly going to the postseason this season. I would be very surprised if they were. So they're they're different from the Diamondbacks in that extent. But the Diamondbacks do have Fair. a young core. Uh, you know, obviously Corbin Carroll leading that core, uh, but the, the or- Orioles don't have a young core. They are all young. Like their whole team is a young core. Essentially. It's not just like a couple of guys are up from the farm system and they're leading the team. That's just the whole team. And it is cool that that's happening, but it's also, when you look at it from the front office, John Angelo's perspective, it's like, yeah, this is a young team that is very cheap and we don't want to add expensive free agents to it because then we will have to pay money and we like our money. So that's a whole other, that's a whole situation. I get your comparison. Yeah. But I just, I view the Orioles on a different tier than the Diamondbacks. Oh, and see my, my thought now is that the Yankees have, have woken up and acquired like at least one, maybe one player, one really good player. Mm -hmm. They might actually be competitive this year. Sure. Which does say it, which is bad news for the Orioles because the Rays are also in this division. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. But fortunately, the Phillies aren't standing pat and letting the Diamondbacks sign all the players. Uh, they did sign a pitcher named Colby Allard. Are you familiar with this person, Liz? Neither is no. anyone else. <laughs> Colby Allard probably got more write-ups than he has ever experienced as he was acquired by the Philadelphia Phillies. It is a split deal, according to Phillies beat writers Matt Gelb and Alex Coffey. Uh, on, uh, the lefty is it is both a minor and major league deal. He is uh, a guy who has uh, low velocity. Like that's his, his fastball has peaked at like 88-90 throughout his whole career. He was also one of three... Braves pitchers in 2018 to make his MLB debut at 20 years old. And that is also a a pattern that his career has followed. That he is typically one of the youngest arms on each level he gets to. And he has found success at each level uh, for the most part until now, of course. Being low velocity, he has relied on control, which he has been a very good control pitcher. Um, 
The concern was that he was going to top out at AAA, despite this meteoric rise through the Brave system. And essentially that is what happened, I believe. (laughs) People were right, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, so he's been in Texas, uh, 2019, 2020, 21, 22. He was all in Texas. He was back in the Atlanta organization in 2023. Never really finding that success at the big league level. He has never put up great numbers. He has never been used in a huge role except in 2021 when he pitched over 124 innings for the Rangers at age 23 and finished that season with a 541 ERA, 7.5 strikeouts per nine, and 3.35 strikeouts per walks. Uh, He really struggles in the second half of the season, I noticed statistically, but he's also made twice the amount of major league starts as he has in the first half. So historically, his usage has made him more exposed, I'm going to guess because teams have tried to figure out what they have in him as they enter you know, the second half. And now the Phillies have him. A 25-year-old lefty with a skill set similar to Phil Maton's, but obviously without the execution or success. He allows a lot of home runs despite his success in the minors. That's been true everywhere he's pitched. In his career in the second half, Allard has allowed 26 homers in 28 appearances, though that is over... 120 and a third innings so liz uh when you saw this news the phillies had signed a pitcher lefty you know this is i would say obviously this didn't thrill the masses this wasn't a signing of a recognizable pitcher there aren't a ton of them left on the free agent market anyway i've kind of been thinking all offseason long they're not really looking at the most expensive options when they're trying to uh, find these solves or replacements Craig Kimbrell's spot is still kind of open in the Phillies bullpen. So I'm not saying Colby Allard is here to replace Craig Kimbrell. It's more that I feel the Phillies are, at this point in time, being a little more aggressive in looking in these kinds of corners for answers to their openings rather than saying, you know, let's just pay for everybody. Don't get me wrong. They should be committed to spending at all times. But right now, they're looking around and not seeing perhaps a guy they're willing to spend as much on as perhaps, you know, teams that have signed relievers are willing to spend like the angels and pirates notoriously free spending organizations (laughs) uh so i guess what i'm saying is is signing a guy like allard kind of the way the phillies have chosen to operate this offseason is it indicative of their overall philosophy at the moment with things and markets being as they are i mean i would hope so because you're totally right there isn't a lot of good stuff left on the market or near the market (laughs) You know, it's going to be some projects or, you know, you have to make some trades. And I don't think the Phillies are in a place where they want to do that or they would have traded for your best friend, Emmanuel Classe. Yeah, I'm kind of over that. I saw somebody, somebody <laughs> brought sure? that up the other day and, you know, it's it's it, that's that's essentially over. Uh, what, what the Phillies would have to trade for him, whether it be prospects or the major league ready outfielder that the Guardians were quoted as wanting for him. Just aren't things that I'd expect the Phillies to be super willing to give up right now. So, yeah, that I think that's essentially over. I think, you know, everyone's gaze has fallen back to the free agent market where we know, obviously, as I said, David Robertson is gone. Aroldis Chapman has been signed. Uh, and then guys you would actually want on the team. Robert Stevenson, <laughs> Jordan Hicks. Josh Hader, even though we kind of were passing on him when he was still available. But these are all the big names, and they're all they're all off the board. Now the question is, all right, well, do the Phillies want Phil Maton or Hector Neris? Again, no guarantee they get either of these guys. But they're just kind of the next guys up on the free agent list who haven't signed anywhere. 
And that's where people's eyes have turned and they will begin making unhealthy attachments to whichever pitcher they prefer. Now, Liz, um, this was like a good opportunity to get, you know, to, to refamiliarize ourselves with these two guys and what, what their more contemporary histories have been. And, you know, before I get into that, off the bat, we touched on this with John Stolness in a recent episode of Hit and Season, but has your opinion on which one of these guys you'd prefer changed since then, or are you sticking with uh, whoever you said, which I believe was Neris? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm not. I don't believe I said Neris. I don't think I would have done that. Um, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with skipping the Hector Neris train. Uh, the the Hector Neris experience. I don't need a ticket. We've 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 been we've been, we've seen it. And uh, I think I, I'd go with Maton, who was I think interesting and could have some room to grow. Perhaps he does a lot of not a lot of game finishing, a lot of middle. In- a lot of uh, sort of middle late inning stuff. It's um, I think that's what the Phillies want. They want a guy who will be flexible. That's true. The Phillies' uh, depth really plays on the fact that not not only do they have a lot of options that they feel they can go to, but also they can use those options in different ways. Jose Alvarado's openness to getting a couple of extra outs this season. That was key in a couple of spots, more key than I thought, because typically, you know, a guy being brought in early or staying late, as far as relievers go, is a cause for worry. Even now, I will be worried in each case, because it's an easy way to get burned. But the Phillies have had some success there, and like you said, flexibility is a great trait to have in this bullpen. And I think I've switched teams, too, because I hadn't thought about it too much there when when asked the question either uh, between Maton and Neris. But having like gotten a little re-familiarized myself with, with both of them, I think I would be landing on, on the Phil Maton camp as well. Maton's a guy with low velocity but freakish spin rates. He's coming Ooh. off a missed postseason run in 2022 that came about due to a pinky injury from punching a locker after giving up a hit to his brother. Uh, he'd also gotten hit by he got hit by a comebacker this past August. Uh, so he's had a couple of trips to the injured list. He created the need for his own bounce back campaign in 2023 in that case. And fortunately for him, he had a great year. His walk rate and his strikeout rate were nestled comfortably within career norms for him, but opponents batting averages against him dropped from like a, the 230-250 range to a career low of 204. Woo! And that was with the fastball topping out at like 89 miles an hour, though lefties did hit 266 off him. So splits-wise, you know, 204 is a great thing to be able to say guys are hitting against you, but clearly one side of the plate is tougher than the other for him. Uh, mm-hmm. He's said to have a steady demeanor, but again, locker punch. Was- Teammate... <laughs> Teammate Ryan Presley said Maton was Zach Granke with more spin, which is an aggressive statement. Uh, he was part I was of the. Ask- say, does he mean entirely or what? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> In what way do you mean he's like Zach? Yeah, Granke? let's. Just, we need some description there, sir. I think that every time someone says like, "Oh, this guy comps well to Chris Sale," I'm like, mm, "How though?" I know every time <laughs> I'm just like, "So we're just never are we just we're only going to talk about what happened with Chris Sale and the, the cutting up all the jerseys? We're just going to talk about that only at certain times, huh?" Yeah, like, what do you mean? Is he holding a knife now? Does he know <laughs> where to get a knife if he wants he did one? That. <laughs> he literally cut up his team's throwback jerseys with scissors. Yeah, I won't not think about that every time I see his name, Uh, ever. Yeah, but (laughs) 
Well, speaking of deep bullpens, the Astros were also said to have quite a deep bullpen with Maton in it, but he's like, like you said, finishing games, not his strong suit. He's like one for eight in save opportunities the past three years, which is a low level of opportunities and a frighteningly low level of success yeah, in those opportunities. I think, I think maybe one has something to do with the other. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, in July, MLB.com informed us that Maton's curveball's spin uh, spin rate averages 3,144 rotations per, per minute, which ranks in the 98th percentile in the majors. And his fastball spin rate, 2,556 RPM, ranks in the 95th percentile. He's held hitters to an average exit velocity of 83.5 miles an hour, which is the lowest in baseball. That was in early July. For the first half of 2023, Phil Maton was having the best season of his career, and in many ways, he still was in September. But looking at his splits, Maton surrendered about the same number of runs and walks in the second half as he did in the first, with half the playing time. Though, unlike Oops. those stats, his strikeout totals did cut in half. So this was partially due to the fact that he got dinged by a comebacker in August, like I mentioned, and got placed on the injured list with an elbow contusion. But July had been a pretty brutal month for him regardless. Astros fans were not happy seeing Phil Maton come out in July and August for high leverage situations. Not sure what that's about, but he's a relief pitcher, and they rarely exhibit the same exact level of positive impactfulness for an entire season. Everybody goes through a rough stretch. Maybe it was just that. Maybe it was an effect of the injury. Who knows? He's projected to get a two-year deal worth $14 million. Now, then you have Hector Neris. Uh, you know, again, we don't have to have a preamble on Hector. We all know the deal here. Hector's a guy who probably is better than the collective memory of Phillies fans recalls. There are people who would be excited to see him back just from a pure nostalgic standpoint. He became a fan favorite because of his attitude and the, you know, the team needs Hector, you know, everything like that was people love that people buy into that. And I totally get that. That's totally fine. And I was the one who pointed out, I think the reason people get so mad at Hector Neris is when he does blow games, for some reason, it was always against the Braves, Giants and Dodgers. Yeah. Teams that you like didn't want to lose to, but somehow those were, those were his biggest uh, problems came against those three teams. So obviously we all know Hector. He and his splitter left the Phillies when he was 32, and he's 34 now. He'll be 35 in June. Unlike Phil Maton, he kept opponents' batting average sub-200 for righties and lefties in 2023, and his numbers are pretty good and pretty steady from the first to the second half of 2023. He became something of a fly ball pitcher in 2023, giving up significantly fewer line drives and ground balls to hitters and getting over 51% of batted balls in the air. In his last season with the Phillies, Neris had about 40% of the batted balls he gave up uh, become fly balls. So that's a jump since then. That's, a, that's, you know, that's almost a different kind of pitcher, you could yeah, say. Yeah, wow. And 17% of those fly balls became home runs with the Phillies, whereas with Houston last year, only 8.6 of them, 8.6% of them became home okay. runs. So, again, Babip says he got lucky a lot with a 70-point drop, 70-point drop from ah! 2022. That's a lot. This is evidenced by the fact that, yeah, his numbers scream career year in 2023, but his strikeout and walk rates both got worse. And according to Andy Martino, the Mets are in Tenaris and his former Astros teammate Ryan Stanek as they look to spend, they said apparently, they, they, I, they were just like laying out their plans pretty transparently. They were like, yeah, we're looking to spend about 10 more, 10, 10 million more on a, on a bullpen arm. I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's helpful. Right. Uh, and the Yankees are interested as well. 
Hector Neris is projected to get one or two years at seven to eleven million dollars a year. Did I talk you into Hector Neris there? No, <laughs> he did not. Uh, nothing says uh, nothing says let's get concerned like uh, he turned into a fly ball pitcher. Yeah. I could easily see those fly balls becoming home runs. Oh, my God. It's the only thing I see. Yeah. So um, I'm kind of with you there. I'm very curious to see what happens in these these last, you know, four or five weeks of the offseason. Uh, and even, in, you know, in, in through spring training when teams are still making moves. I'm very curious to see how the Phillies bullpen gets addressed. It wound up being a very big strength of this team. And and it's pivotal to success in the postseason as well. Obviously, you want to be able to lean on your starters, but you are also going to have to lean on your bullpen. And to have depth in your bullpen in a situation like that is so valuable. Kimbrell's gone, and yeah, we know his, uh, his last two appearances weren't great, but he was part of that depth last year for a long time. And... I feel like if you want to maintain that as a strength, you you got to you got to find a replacement of uh, of that output somewhere. And I don't necessarily care where it comes from, and I also love that the Phillies have become a team that does with merit uh trust itself to 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 go after uh lower lower uh, like cheaper options, I guess. Guys who uh have something to prove, guys who like haven't put it all together yet. Rule five picks, non-roster invitees, like th- those kind of guys. I-, I trust them a little more to do that. How long yeah. will that trust last? I don't know. But I'm very curious to see how this situation shakes out because they've still got a few more jobs to fill and, you know, names are disappearing. The trust is always theirs to lose. Sometimes <laughs> it, that's what it is. It's always theirs to lose. It's there until they abuse the privilege. So... They've proven themselves the last few seasons to be very good at this. So I'll continue having faith in them until they give me reasons not to. Yep. Kevin Long, Caleb Cotham. I feel like they both have this, like, their input on who and and when teams acquire uh, certain guys, I, I think, has been very valuable. That they're able to be like, I, you know, I'm familiar with this guy or I'm familiar with this approach or I can see what he's doing wrong. And if he comes here, we can put him in the lab and we can work it out. I mean, that's that's such a huge asset. So, oh my gosh, yeah. With that system functioning, there's nothing we can't do. Not to get too uh, late winter positive about baseball and the Phillies, but you know that is that is I feel like the the state of the team right now. Well, with spring training not right around the corner, but feeling right around the corner, since again it is seventy degrees outside in late January. Uh, We've got plenty more to discuss in the weeks ahead as the Phillies do and don't make moves, and we round the bend into the preseason as baseball season rears its head. And you can hear all about it here on Hidden Season at billypen.com slash Hidden Season. Look for new episodes to appear, and don't forget... You have a very small amount of time to still vote for us to win Best Baseball Podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards. You can follow the link in uh, my profile uh, on Twitter, at Justin underscore Clue, and you can vote for us there. We appreciate your support. Liz, before we wrap up this episode of Hitting Season, I wanted to give you the opportunity. I was telling some people that once Reese Hoskins signed his deal with the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, you know, officially, officially, solidifying that he would not play for the Philadelphia Phillies anymore. Uh, I, I kind of reached my, uh, my 
limit with Reese Hoskins celebrations and it all was just turning into engagement and people taking turns tweeting the same things and it just became like look I feel like we did this already I feel like he's been gone for months we've known since they announced that Bryce Harper would be the first baseman that Reese Hoskins was not coming back that was all but assured uh so I had kind of reached my limit of like okay can we can we just move on please like it is time I love the guy. Don't get me wrong. I love Reese Hoskins. I wish he was still on the you? team in some capacity. He hit the most satisfying home run in Philly's history, in my opinion. I think he's great. He's, he's His time here has been wonderful and just as important as it's been framed by everyone. But that's the point. It's been by everyone all the time. So, I, But I did want to give you, with that, with that loving introduction, I wanted to give you the opportunity <laughs> to share any Reese Hoskins feelings you have, and I will, not, I will not roll my eyes, I promise. How dare you have feelings, but still, please express them. <laughs> um, I, I don't have much to say. I've said a lot already. Every, I mean, he's one of my favorite Phillies of all time. He's probably maybe my second if not maybe my third probably favorite Philly of all time um this honestly just gives me an excuse to buy Brewers stuff now just gives me an excuse (laughs) to buy Brewers stuff because that because I definitely will be doing that 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 I will be doing I will be buying Brewers things yes and I, I, I will say in the throes of those you know dead years where the playoffs were a far off mirage and nothing was super working within the Phillies organization to imagine that we'd be able to say somebody who like a a new player from beyond the uh, 2007 to 11 years would be able to register on your list of favorite Phillies ever felt like a near impossibility. Oh my God. Yeah. Something that was not going to happen. So that is, again, that's part of what I mean when I say his, his legacy with the Phillies is, is very much intact. And I'll say this as well. Reese Hoskins, other than some, you know, frustrating stretches at the plate, you know, output as a player wise, but he as a person never gave you a reason not to root for him. And that is a increasingly rare trait among professional athletes, I find. So that is something I I will also appreciate about Reese Hoskins as he moves on to Milwaukee. I wish him best of luck. I hope he does so well. Absolutely. I think he will. I think that's a good spot for him. So yeah, I think I he'll, agree. he'll give that lineup a boost. They need some offense in Milwaukee. Just obviously not. <laughs> they need some cheering the up in Milwaukee. <laughs> oh, God. They've been abandoned, and it's very clear. <laughs> they've been abandoned by God. Oh, it is so clear. They Yeah, they've got some issues out there. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Hidden Season. If you want more content, head on over to the Hidden Season Patreon at patreon.com slash Season for $5 a month. You get access to new episodes of The Dirty Inning and Absolutely Hammered. The Dirty Inning is, of course, a podcast that is also up for Best Baseball Podcasts. So if you like that one, give that show a vote as well. They, we, uh, on that show, we talk about the dumbest, funniest, and most obscure innings in Philadelphia Phillies history. We currently have one available to everyone on George Stallings and his last day as the Phillies manager in 1898. Spoiler alert it didn't go great uh we will have a new episode just for patrons up before the end of january as well so you you can look forward to all of that over at the hidden season patreon at patreon.com slash hidden season thanks for listening and from whyy and billy penn i'm justin clue i'm liz rocher and this has been hidden season